0: Mama, I got bad news, bad news, I've been rolling with some bad news, bad dudes, I've been trying to get a bag, too,
1: a bag too. Hello listeners, welcome to I the Ashes to Awesome podcast, Rising Mama, in Recovery. News, Our podcast so provides light, hope, and understanding about addiction and mental health to those living within that life and the people who love them. This episode is brought to you by Together We Can, where Canada recovers from addiction. That's TWCRecoveryLife.org. Hello listeners, welcome to another edition of the Weekend Ramble on the Ashes to Awesome podcast. I'm your host Chuck LaFlanche, and joining me in virtual studio today is of course my co-host, Carl the Atheist. How are you doing today, Carl? Doing great, Chuck. And Dr. Lisa, it's good to have you back after not having you, well, I guess I never had either one of you last week, did I? I did a solo Weekend Ramble, so um, welcome back, Lisa. How are you?
2: I'm good, thanks, how are you?
1: I'm great, thank you, I'm great. And our honored guest today, Aaron Johnson from somewhere in Louisiana. I'm sorry, I don't remember the name of the town.
3: Shreveport, Shreveport, <laughs> yes. top of the boot.
1: All right. And I didn't write it down, so you're gonna have to hope I remembered this properly. You are an addictions counselor and a bunch of other stuff. So what else you got going other on other there,
3: <laughs> so, <laughs> so I'm in Louisiana and I am an LPC, which stands for licensed professional counselor. So that's oh, okay. basically all your mental health things. Um, and then LAC is what I specialize in, which is licensed addiction counselor. And I've been working with addictions for about thirteen years.
1: Okay, okay, great, great. Um, right off the bat, I got to ask: is, is that from? Does that stem from a history of addictions in yourself, with with yourself, or is, is some other driver that that got you into uh, into the field?
3: It's a real funny story. Um, so, no, I'm actually not in recovery. Um, okay. Which I have a lot of clients that are like, "Why am I going to listen to you if you haven't done it?" I'm like, "Well, don't you want to be like me?" And they're like, actually, you got me. And I'm like, okay, good. Um, and so a lot of my clients were like, you know what? I want to learn how to do life without drugs and alcohol like you have. So I'm going to listen to you. And I was like, hallelujah. Because uh, I was always afraid of that question. Like, uh, you don't know anything about this. Um, and so, no, I'm not in recovery, but I've been studying it a long time. Um, I started in 2007 when I went to college and, our college was offering an entire separate bachelor's degree for addiction studies um, okay. because it was becoming such a deal. Like, um, you know, in 2008 is when they started really, really recognizing that substance use treatment needs to be, you know, offered a lot more than it is okay. um, because it was really on the rise and it's unfortunately still on the rise. Uh, but we have hasn't, a lot more. Yeah,
1: that hasn't changed, right? It's just keeps, I think the numbers are going up faster yeah. now than they ever were. Right. So, yeah. Yeah okay okay
2: can i interject one thing um Karen? so i get that obviously as well right like i'm also not in recovery and so i've also been given that question or heard that and one of the things i'll often say to patients as well is if you have cancer and you go see your oncologist if your oncologist has not <laughs> themselves had cancer do you think that they can't help you with your cancer <laughs>
1: like right do you know what uh, i mean absolutely. Well, said. Um, yeah. well said just a,
2: right. another yeah. angle right I think,
1: I think everything comes back to cancer does it Yep.
2: Yeah, <laughs> I often, well, cancer and diabetes are two I tend to use. I just kind of pick yeah. on those for whatever reason, but like I'll often, you know, look at some other medical illness and, and frame questions that way. And it often changes people's perspectives. Um, well, you
1: still got me so on, seems to work. on the coerced treatment or coerced treatment or mandated treatment. You, you totally got me with that one, right? So, yeah. you know, yeah, 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 definitely, definitely, so, um, actually, you know what? I'm going to take a quick minute to talk really fa- fast about that. Um, Daniel Unmanageable over at Hard Knocks Talks had a police chief on this past Sunday. So a week ago now, I guess, um, talking about coerced treatment in Alberta and, oh. and what, what they're doing here and, and whether or not they should continue to, or if they should move on with similar policies in Alberta. Uh, in Saskatchewan. So I don't know how much you know about Canada, but that's the next province over, the next equivalent to a state over from us, right? So, um Yeah.
4: (laughs) Yeah, you don't know. (laughs) So Um, (laughs) Texas is Alberta. Louisiana is Saskatchewan. Without the guns and the racism, right? Thank you, Carl. Without the
1: guns. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, 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 oh. oh. (laughs) Anyway. (laughs) fuck's sakes carl anyway (laughs) um and and i just i just wanted to say that real quick because it is an incredible episode i i listened to it finally yesterday morning i think it was and i was just blown away by by some of the coming out of this this the the cop's mouth and you've lived the last 30 years the way i have it's you know it's hard to look at police sometimes that way and he was speaking some, some really great things were coming out of it. You know, uh, his policing policing's come a long way. So I know, Carl, you just just dying to chomp me for saying that. but <laughs> I'll
2: definitely go listen. I'm, so was that, a, was that a police officer from Calgary?
1: No, no, it was a Saskatoon chief of police. Yeah, so okay. they're talking about okay. doing it in Saskatchewan as well. Now, gotcha, right, okay. so, right and, and, of course, politics being what they are between the two provinces were pretty pretty aligned right so i wouldn't be surprised if that they picked up a very similar model to ours in in the very near future so yeah Yeah. um so what i really wanted you on here for uh in in the first place i guess the first reason i wanted you on i should say i should reframe that uh was to talk about smart recovery so it's for me personally it's come up quite a bit um lately before two months ago i'd never even heard i honestly don't know that i'd ever heard of it Three months yeah. ago, I, well, I guarantee I hadn't heard of it before three months ago, which is crazy. My whole life is recovery for the last seven, eight months that we've been doing the show. This is just 14 hours a day I do recovery, and I'd never heard about this before. So um, got some questions going. You know, we talked about some of the challenges, and I think I'm going to leave that, angle, that, that whole part alone for now. because It seems um, very limited experience. Yeah. Um, if you're going to talk about smart recovery to somebody that's never heard of it, what's your, what's your spiel? Because I know you got one right?
3: So, yeah. Oh, I do. I do. I do. Um, so, you know, a lot of times in recovery, we hear about 12 step model or abstinence based, which mm-hmm. is great. Okay. Uh, I want everybody to know that, you know, as a licensed addiction therapist, I don't really sway one way or the other because there's so many different variables and there's different people that I come across that need different things. So there really yeah. isn't a cookie cutter plan for anybody really. And so, Although I am going to talk about smart recovery, I am a huge fan of smart recovery. I want that to go alongside that I do not discriminate against any other intervention that you do choose to use, okay? Um, but I am going to talk about the differences because the one the one self-help group that we all probably know about is AA. Um, yes. You know, we have AA, NA, and a many, many other forms, and typically they use an abstinence-based approach, which is great and needed for some people. Um, But for some people, they aren't spiritual or they don't want to be spiritual or religious or use a higher power. Um, So Smart Recovery came to be around in the 90s. And they said, well, well, give me the stats on AA. And they said, oh, well, we would, but it's anonymous. So we kind of can't. Now, you can ask a lot of people if it worked for them and they'll say yay or nay. But there's actually no more evidence. Can
1: I Can I interrupt? because they can't or because they don't know what, like, um, they don't have the stats because it, because it isn't honest. Thinking myself, like, yeah, nobody ever questioned me about my journey as an individual there. So is it, they just don't know. Is that, is that accurate? Go to 12 stats. So
3: clo- close, so it's, it's kind of okay. like, you know, how we all think that cigarettes cause cancer, right? We all think yeah. that we've all been told that as we all smoke on the show, um, <laughs> <laughs> but technically there's not a lot of evidence behind that, so there's a difference between correlation and causation. Thank you, Carl.
1: <laughs> <laughs> That's vaping. That's not smoking, right? <laughs> whatever, whatever. It's still nicotine.
3: It's still nicotine, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. you know, for instance, you know, in the south or probably anywhere, swimming deaths and drowning deaths go up in the summer. Why? Because more people are swimming, right? Yeah. And so, I don't think we can really do a lot of corrects. Um, evidence research on AA because of the anonymity and the people that want to be anonymous and also the, the definition of success and recovery right so someone might say oh I'm in recovery um, I also take Suboxone well somebody might go mm, you can't be in the study and then somebody else might say well I'm in recovery I'm on nothing okay great you can be in it and so you know what really is the the proper definition of success and recovery it's different so there's not going to be some two plus two equals four evidence out there for AA. Does that I make feel
1: sense? like it does; it does make sense. I, I feel like that's an overcomplicating the issue. I, I can see why it is what it is. I'm not disagreeing with you in any way. I'm just thinking.
3: Definitely.
1: I, I mean, a pretty easy definition of recovery would be: Am I happy compared to where I was? Yes, right. So it, to me, that's enough, right? Am I a productive member of society? Am I, you know, am I contributing to my family? Am I not, you know? Um, ostracized by everybody i love yeah okay i'm doing okay to me that's a pretty good measure of success when you're going to speak about recovery but you're right about some of the biases that come out of a 12 step and, and i'm sorry have mm-hmm. got to be really careful not to bash 12 step for me my first know, month that's
3: why i said that at the beginning you know,
1: yeah. my first month was i couldn't have done it without the rooms right and yeah, I, I, yeah for my own reasons i came out of it but go ahead lisa yeah, of course yeah.
2: i think it's also the nature of doing scientific studies right like when you're doing scientific Mm -hmm. studies in order to be able to do the analysis you need to have these very clearly defined criteria to be within the study and so i think what you're talking about chuck is common sense right like success and recovery is that you're functioning and you're happy um you know you're not hurting yourself and everybody around you but in order to do a study and to be able to analyze it and run statistics and all of that you need to have these really clearly defined things, which is why sometimes it's hard to transmit the results of a study into real life. Okay. Right? Okay.
1: okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. It, it, it never occurred to me before, but how do you not know what the numbers are? But I guess you don't, right? You just don't. That's crazy. That's crazy. So it's the same thing for Smart Recovery then? Do you know what the numbers hey guys, are? guys, I'm not sure if everybody knows about our new show, Morning Cup of Kindness. It's, uh, it's, a, it's a show that I host And it's, it's just a five minute thing every day, Monday to Friday, start your day off with a smile, you know, a story about some random kindness, maybe a couple stories if they're, if they're really short. Right. Um, but today I decided that if you have a nonprofit, if you have any kind of organization, a company that's got a fundraiser, anything to do with kindness in the world that you need the message to get out about, you can record five minute episode with a story about random kindness. And at the end, do a 30 to, 60, 30 to 60 either pre-made commercial or verbal mention of whatever it is that you're trying to promote. The caveat is it has to be for a good cause, right? So I, I don't want you to come on and promote your, your your clothing business or your pizza restaurant. I want you to come on and, and talk about something that's bringing kindness to the world in, in, in some sort of, you know, be it a fundraiser, be it a, a nonprofit that needs a mention whatever it's a pretty easy uh threshold to make i think i I don't think i'm making this too difficult so uh get in touch with us ashes awesome podcast at gmail.com and um we'll make sure that we get that set up for you so thanks for listening guys do you know what the numbers are you do Mm,
3: good question okay so the the reason why smart recovery can be studied and i'd have to pull up some numbers if you really wanted them but it's because of exactly what you just said (laughs) (laughs) um so there is no, like, in in a smart recovery room, you might have somebody that's sober. You might have somebody that's um, on medication-assisted treatment. You might have somebody yeah. that's still using. And yeah. so they're all not in the room with the same goals exactly, but they're going to learn some tools to get wherever their success is. So someone might say, well, my success is getting my kids back, being a good member of society, having a job, you know, getting back in a relationship with my friends and family. Okay. Yeah. And then someone might say my definition of success is getting off all my medications, being completely abstinent from everything, including my antidepressants. Okay. There might be that yeah. person. And then there might be somebody that says, well, I'm just here to learn about how to help my son. So like Lisa was saying, the parameters are, are kind of very different. Um, and so smart also talks about like the, the power of choice and so yeah. they kind of say, like, hey, whatever you want to do, you can do it. If you want to if you wanna do a harm reduction model, which might be, you know, I'm not using meth, but I'm able to drink alcohol for the football games and put it down, great. Whatever. If you yeah. over here yeah. right. want to be be completely absent from everything and that's what you want, great. You have the power of choice. And there is no um, – those two people in the same room aren't going to give each other flack yeah. for their route but, of recovery. Aaron.
2: Does that make studying smart recovery even more complicated, though?
1: I would think. Because, I, I like, to so. me,
2: the fact that, you know, what's deemed success, and I think, like, I agree with that approach, but I feel like that would make smart recovery even harder
3: to study and to quote right. stats because... At least
1: abstinence is a clear line, right? You know, like, yeah. you know, right? yeah. So I, I agree with you. Lisa. <laughs> right. Yeah.
3: So I, I think what they do, I think how they word it, if I'm not mistaken, is blah percent of people that attend smart recovery have... Um, result of being happier like it's very vague so basically what I said they are sober right. yeah, yes okay. that's yeah. what you yeah. would be okay. you'd be a great smart recovery person like you would you would fit right in you would love it
1: SMRT uh-huh.
2: right.
3: <laughs> so it might say like are successful and then it'll say like they define success as
4: right
2: yeah,
3: yeah.
4: right well I, I it might I think not one be the-
3: they were clean for 80 days or whatever
4: but I think one of the major differences I found just in, in reading about smart recovery compared to uh, AA is AA sets a goal for you. This is your goal. This is what we're here to achieve. We're going to get there. Smart recovery allows you to set a realistic goal that you can achieve um, that's not set by somebody else. So it, like, like you said, right, like I, I want to be off my medications or I want to quit math, but I still want to have a beer at the football game. Um, I think like when you set a realistic goal, it's going to be more achievable. Um, and, and instead of somebody telling you, well, you know what, this is your goal and you're not achieving it. Um, you know, you can, you can set yourself a little goal, like, you know what, I'm not going to do meth this week. Maybe that's your goal for, Mm -hmm. for your first, right. And, and if you make it the whole week, well, that's a success. Um, and, and then when you see that success, it might drive you to be like, you know what? I did it for a week. I can do it for another week. And, and, you know, whereas, you know, uh, in AA, I've I've never been to, uh, AA or 12 step or anything like that, just because of the, the religious Mm
0: -hmm.
4: whole thing about religion and that, um, it, it, it's honestly like when I, when I read it, I was actually mentioning to, to, uh, Dr. Lisa before Chuck and Aaron joined in was, this sounds a lot like what I did for myself, um, when, when I quit drugs. My my goal was to 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 not be doing math, to not be doing crack, to not be doing coke, because I have a family, and I need to be there for my family. I need to be a parent. I need to be an employee. I need to, right? And and I achieved those small goals. Now I you know I, I you know I, I didn't drink for a couple years and I didn't smoke any pot for a couple years, but that wasn't my issue. And then when I decided that, you know what, I'm through this stuff. I can you know, I can get through it then i'd have a beer but you know i i I would be smart about it right like i would set a goal a realistic goal i'm only going to have two beer with dinner and i would have two beer and then that was that and i think that's that's kind of what smart recovery is uh
3: absolutely
4: is 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 trying to push um and even like i I didn't even realize it was a acronym uh self-management recovery training i mean. It's, it's, it's training you. It's, it's giving you these tools. It it's actually is you... SMRT,
1: not SMART. Did I get well,
4: that right? A. Well, the, the A, A. The A. And. Oh, and. Oh,
1: nobody uses the... Okay, whatever. <laughs> Probably because they didn't want SMRT. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, I just I'm want just to glad say I had I, been spelling I, it wrong this whole damn time, so okay.
4: We're I, good, I, I yeah. really like the... <laughs> the fact that like, you're, you're setting a realistic goal people. yeah <laughs> i'm sorry aaron, realistic goals go ahead
3: i said you aaron, were can I writing ask you... smrt
4: <laughs> <Yeah>.
2: <laughs> can i ask you a question aaron when you were first yeah. talking about it you one of the things as you were starting out to describe smart was you were you know and in comparing it to aa is you were saying you know that at smart there can be people there who are on Suboxone, there can be people there who are abstinent, there can be people there who are still actively using. But I mean, that's also true of AA. Now I get that there are times people go into an AA meeting and if they're on something like a prescription opiate agonist, that people Mm -hmm. will have an issue with that or call them out on that. But I, I still think it's important to point out that fundamentally,
1: the, the, to the go only to rule an AA is meeting. the desire to stop using right exactly to, to, and so to walk if, into a you know step right so yeah. because i just
2: like i also don't want and i'm not for one or the other um obviously but i i think it's just important to point out that for anyone listening if there's a desire to stop you can go to aa you don't have to have stopped and you don't have to not be on methadone Fair. and you don't you know yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it's right. a different in culture Absolutely. and acceptance
1: for sure and yeah yes. i was actually i was thinking at said that exactly when you said it because i was just sitting here thinking this can't turn into one of those this is better than this episodes right Mm -hmm. so but that said to the listener it's going to sound like that because we have a guest who is with smart recovery today so it's not about bashing 12-step we're we're pointing out some of the differences um but yeah it is it is going to sound because yeah you got somebody here who's that's that's (coughs) your you know your your method of choice anyway right so um Really good point, Lisa. Thank you for bringing that up. Thank you. Yeah.
3: And and I will say, you know, we can't. I can't speak for every single smart meeting, and I can't speak for every single AA meeting. But I have physically been in many meetings over the years, and one thing I I can say just about the meetings that I've been to. Okay, so there's going to be somebody out there that's like, well, I've been to a meeting, and they didn't do that. Of course, <laughs> um, it's like anything else in the world, right? Um, but you know, a lot of times when I've been in a 12 step meeting and someone does share something that might not be completely accepted in AA, they don't feel completely accepted in AA when they when they want to share what, what's really going on, like, you are, hey,
1: yeah, in, in my experience as well, you're definitely going to curb your sharing, I guess, in, in a way that absolutely, you know, yeah, you're you're not going to be um, totally open about it in, in that in the culture that I've seen anyway, right. So, um, and again, for most of us in recovery, 12 steps was absolutely integral to the very first, to the early days of that. Some people right. evolve Understood. into something else or grow into something else. And I, and I think it's, but it's always so important. You know, um, our, our own Ryan Bathgate, for instance, not a big fan of 12 steps, but hey, if it wasn't for the 12 steps, he wouldn't be sitting here complaining about the 12 steps, right? So, you know, <laughs> it, we always have to, yeah. we have to remember yeah. that, right? You know, it's just, it's, it's, you know, the reality of it that yeah. that is so important for so many people my first month wouldn't have happened without the rooms there's no way so I just want to take a quick minute and uh, let you know about a new sponsor of ours Rosecrest Recovery Services you might remember Rich Johnson from an episode just recently about interventions and he was the interventionist of course right so he's come on as a sponsor and they don't just do interventions they do family case management treatment placement um, uh, treatment placement is, is a free courtesy service and uh, reaching out is a free and completely confidential so Give them a show, guys. You can reach them at 615 484 8792 or email at info at dot com. Remember, they lead men and women to a life of recovery. Thanks for listening. Now back to the show. Right. And that, I think, I like mention. anything, the fellowship alone. there's, no.
2: No. I think, like anything, there, you know, everything has to continue to evolve, right? As humans, yeah. we have to continue to evolve. I think, as programs, we always have to be evolving. And when AA began there weren't a lot of pharmacologic solutions to addiction right Good and point. you know yeah. there are today There, you know not for everything unfortunately but there are now things like methadone and suboxone and cadian and so i think like and just like humans change is hard and change is slow but i i hope that as time passes, you know, I hope twenty years from now, fifty years from now, that AA and NA are still around, helping millions of people, but that there is more acceptance. And I think it's just, you know, we're all you human, got the old and I think still, sh-
1: right? You know, like you, you know, you're, you're not that far off from some of the original members still being alive, right? Like, yeah. it, 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 I, I don't think it, we're probably just past that point now, but you know, we're not that far away from it. So a lot mm-hmm. has changed in that time, and. Uh, as you're sitting here saying that, Lisa, I think about the faith part of twelve step. Well, back in 1920 or 1910 or whatever—I'm sorry, I don't remember the year—faith was a 30. much bigger part of our lives
3: Absolutely. than it is yeah. now. Right.
1: Right. So right. you can see, hey, that the book is still the book. You know, it has—it's—they've made some revisions, but it really hasn't changed that much. They've added to it. I don't think they've taken anything from it. So you can imagine that, you know, it, it would have been a much bigger deal back then. So it, and hmm. hope maybe maybe that part evolves with the program as well. Maybe. I don't know.
3: Maybe also, it doesn't, it doesn't I, I, uh, piggybacking on what you said about not having the resources, you know, back then the way that they detox was going into Bill's house and toughing it out. Shit, it you out, know, nowadays, really, right? yeah. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, you're, I mean, I wonder how many people like died of seizures or, you know, from detox withdrawals and what I mean, detox and withdrawals. Um, it's very dangerous, but they didn't know about, medication, even like, you know, medications we don't even argue about, like, phenobarbital. I don't know what you guys use for detox up there, but... um,
1: What do we use, Doctor? We use all of them.
3: So,
2: yeah, I mean, it depends. We probably, like, with alcohol, because certain things are not unsafe to detox from, right? They're uncomfortable, like detoxing from... You know, um, meth, detoxing right? from cocaine. Right. You know, Even orpheids, so yes. is it? It's not
1: dangerous. It's just um, it's just really, really uncomfortable. Uncomfortable, right? right? And yeah, it's you one feel of like the you ones you want to die, where... but you're not going to die. Right? Yeah.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But when it comes to you know the things that are dangerous, which is predominantly alcohol and benzos. You know, we use yeah. benzos, but we use long acting benzos. You know, so we figure out sort of what dose they were on. We come up with an equivalent long acting instead of short acting, and then it sort of tapered. Um, you know, over the course of a, a few days to a week. Usually, um, but yeah. So mostly we use benzos.
1: Wow, wow! I didn't know that. And benzos being like my understanding like is that it's alcohol and, and benzos are the two things that you could potentially die from detoxing. From, right. And
2: That's right. Yeah.
1: My understanding of it, anyway. Yeah, so. Yeah. Yeah. So there's
2: protocols, you know, in the hospital. Where if someone comes in and they're addicted to alcohol or they're addicted to benzos then we put this protocol in place a SIWA protocol and you know the nurses will go see them on a regular basis assessing for symptoms of withdrawal and then the dosing of the benzos which you know often for example diazepam would be one that we would use it's dose sort of based on how they score on a siwa protocol um
1: yeah so a bunch of technical stuff in there but that somebody's paying yeah. attention is what you're saying. Right? Someone's
2: paying attention, adjusting yeah. 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 a dose. Yeah. I mean, I do yeah. think nowadays, like one of the goals, we don't, as much as possible, we don't want people to suffer unnecessarily, right? So someone comes in yeah. and even if with opiates, the nice thing with opiates is that we do have medications we can use. So again, their withdrawal is not going to kill them, but it doesn't mean that we bring them in and say, well, suck Suffers. it up, buttercup and they let love, them, yeah, you right. know, go through a bunch of withdrawal symptoms, like I, I, right away we're like, in there.
1: Did I ever tell you the story about the first time I was exposed to fentanyl? Like, is it is it, like around me as so. a, a recreational, it's ever a <coughs> recreational drug, maybe the first time you try it a second time, but um, I was sharing a motel room with this person. Uh, she had gone to sleep before I left. I had never seen dope sick before. I'd mm-hmm. only seen ornery dope sick. I hadn't seen really dope sick yet. I left. I came back three hours later she's still sleeping i went into the back room and the person i was with is like oh be quiet you know I, I don't want to wake her up i don't know what it looks like after a few more hours and i heard helen keller coming out of the front room it was the most awful sound when she woke up she was screaming in pain and i would never ever seen anything even close to this right like and i what the f- what the fuck is going on you know and uh, like i'm running out and she's, yeah, she's screaming in pain and like, she's sick. She's really, really sick. And I sat there with her for three hours until I could find her something, right? And it was like, I'm never trying that drug, right? So it, it was a blessing for me, right, to, to have to sit there and experience that with her. But the thing I, I really took from it was, that is a human being suffering, and you don't choose that, fuck that nobody mm-hmm. chooses to roll around screaming in pain shitting yourself because you don't have your drug of choice nobody does mm-hmm. that right you made a bunch of micro decisions that got you to that point and now you're just a human being suffering right so yeah. I, I, you're right, right why would you let him suffer if, you, if you've got the you know the means to, to stop that right you know yeah yeah anyway sorry i went on a bit of a rant there but <laughs> right? okay yeah,
3: yeah. um So, the other difference between Smart Recovery is they don't have 12 steps, but they do have four points, and it's kind of like chapters. Um, There's actually a a workbook that you can get. It's like 10 bucks, Um, and it's legit. Like, it's not, you know, sometimes you get those pamphlets and workbooks, and they're real cheesy. Um, (laughs) This is actually, like, real stuff you can actually use because Smart Recovery is based out of REBT, which is a technique in therapy, and CBT, which is another technique in therapy. Um, a lot of old dead white guys created it back in the day, right? Um, the reason why I like REBT and it stands for Rational Emotional Behavioral Therapy for anybody listening out there. But one thing whenever I draw on the board is the E always comes before the B. Emotion comes from the behavior. So, almost every behavior we do is backed by an emotion. I'm sad, I cry. I'm angry, I punch you in the face, right? So, I'm happy, we, we laugh. I'm happy, we dance. There's always an emotion typically before the behavior. And so, they tried to use that same REBT technique with Smart Recovery. So, if you have an emotion that's negative, the behavior doesn't have to be use. Behavior can be anything else. And so, that's where it backs up with power of choice. So, the four points, the first one is building and maintaining motivation. Because I don't know about you guys in way Up there in Canada, where it's probably nice and cool. What is the temperature by the way
4: today? 30 Celsius or something stupid. It's actually it's only 20. So, so Celsius. So, that's definitely yeah, so Fahrenheit, <laughs> Yeah, so 72
1: 40,
4: 72, 72 Fahrenheit. Okay, it should be about
3: 108 by the afternoon here. Wow, um, yeah, wow. like I have a fan like. Anyway, the first one is building and maintaining motivation. And a lot of times down here, if you say, you know, what was your reason of relapse? I was bored. So many people say I was bored. I had nothing to do. I have no passion. I have nothing going for me. I'm just sober. And it's not rainbows. And so they wanted to put that in there. The second one is coping with urges. And they kind of talk about the difference between urges, triggers, cravings. And then the third one is really that REBT—that managing thoughts, feelings, and behaviors. Yeah. Four Aaron, is can you ex- a life.
2: Sorry to interrupt you. Can you explain the difference between REBT and CBT? Just because obviously with CBT, like emotions, behaviors, thoughts—that's kind of the um, basis of CBT. Here.
1: Nothing is obvious about anything you just said. So let's back that up. A bit, please, okay. I got so
2: CBT is cognitive behavioral therapy, and it, okay. it's sort of okay. a triad where it looks at the relationship between how you think, how you feel, and how you behave.
4: Okay. And yeah. so I'm
2: curious how that's different, because describing REBT, where sort of an emotion precipitates a behavior, that's sort of similar to CBT, and I'm wondering how they're different. I've actually never heard of REBT oh my goodness okay yeah never
1: um this is just the lowly okay. canadians up here ain't right? no vivitrol no rebt you know <laughs> rebt no no nobody's there with me okay yeah, okay. yeah. We can probably
3: no. make it <laughs> um so, Carl so cbt it. is <laughs> kind of at the top <laughs> rebt is actually kind of under the umbrella so they're very similar so you're you're, you're in the right you know genre um so REBT preaches like an unconditional like um, self-acceptance. Sorry. Like you can always have the choice. Like you can do it. You because especially with addiction, right? How many things an addiction is irrational? You know, it's yeah. bad All for it. me. I use it anyway, right? Yeah. Um, I know I'm not mm-hmm. supposed to do it, but I'm doing it anyway. Irrational. Mm-hmm. I know how to quit, but I can't quit. It just it's very irrational. So um, REB treat REBT tries to help you with that. Um, <laughs> CBT, a lot of it in therapy, there's a lot of like, what are you laughing at? <laughs> i still dancing over there to like, I, feel like... <clears throat> I feel like we need
2: to give him a moment, get lead, it out. I
1: do it for the judgy look on Carl's face, right? It, it makes me happy. It warms my heart every time I get that judgy look. So, yeah. <gasps> anyway,
4: it's not judgy. I'm just embarrassed for you.
2: <laughs> and I think every time Aaron has subsequently said R E B T, he's oh, yeah. kicking back in. <laughs> yeah. Um,
3: yeah. So R E B T tries to get you to like learn <laughs> new ways of behaving with the emotion. <laughs>
2: Like I think I need
3: some right now. <laughs> they,
4: we're having some <laughs> behavioral issues from our host here right now. Yeah, so. I do that sometimes. <clears throat> it's been a long night. Okay, <laughs> continue.
1: Yeah. It's been a long night. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck.
3: <laughs> Needless to say, they're very similar, and they work on like changing your thinking, changing your like actions kind of thing. That's a Mm-kay. layman's second. So okay. another like another, like another fun example, we, I like playing this game with people. So if I said, hey, um, I need money. I'm going to go rob the Circle K. That's a gas station, by the way. Do you all have those? I don't know.
1: And now for a quick PSA brought to you by Revolution Recovery, helping men recover and become their best selves through support and treatment. They've been there and they understand.
2: Hi, listeners. This is Lena. I'm part of the Ashes to Awesome team and co-hosted on Episodes 76 and 67. Do you carry Narcan, also known as Naloxone? If not, perhaps you should. The kits are not only compact and easy to use, they are free at all harm reduction centers and a lot of pharmacies. By carrying one of these kits, you could save the life of somebody who loves and that is loved. I get that most of you never plan on being around opioid use. But there's no telling when it could be around you. I can't think of a good reason not to have it. And if you're not sure where to find it for free, send us an email at ashes awesome podcast at gmail.com. Legwork for you and find it for free in your area. Thanks for listening. And now back to the
1: show. It, uh, I'm yeah, yeah, rob they, bought, gas they bought out our Mac stores, actually. Yeah, we have them all over the place. Oh, okay. Around, yeah. So Great I'm going to go
3: rob a circle pay. Okay. Who, who is going to come do it with me? Anybody? I'm in.
1: What the fuck is? There? Of course you are. If anybody okay. is, it's going to be me. But yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah. Okay, no,
3: so you're. No this is the perfect example. So he's in. Lisa, are you in? No, thanks. Carl, are you in?
4: <laughs> I'm. A, I'm a pass. All right. Carl and Lisa for a quick second. He did. He did. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I, I know the people passed. at the Circle K here. <laughs> <laughs> did recognize me? They passed
3: because. They have a bigger value system, so they might value freedom or not going to jail, whereas Chuck's like, eh, no big deal. Done it before. Um, <laughs> it's not that scary to me. Well, there is that. So yeah. neither answer is really wrong, but it'll show you like the value system, and that's a big thing with Smart Recovery. Um, mm-hmm. Some people, if I said, hey, I need, I need to get a quick 50 bucks, some people would say, go rob grandma. Some people would say, go mow grandma's yards, right? Now, is and it, so a, is it you about your into...
2: value system or is it about risk aversion? Because like, for example, I just know I'm a super risk averse person. And so it's like, mm-hmm. for me, the risk of getting caught, the risk of going to jail, the risk of, I don't know, getting hurt or hurting somebody, those things, it's like, it's I'm, I'm not willing to take that risk. Whereas I feel like for some people, they're willing to accept a lot more risk. And so, is my, it values mother, or is it risks?
1: She's started, you know, you're a risk taker. We get it. You know, right? So, so it's funny that you said that because, yeah, that's, I have been my entire I life. Think I'm you, a risk taker, right? I think you, know, you
3: avoid yeah. risk because of your values. You avoid risk because you value your home, you value your job, you value your freedom. Or some mm-hmm. people might have a high risk because they don't really value those things as much as. You know, someone else. So, I yeah. mean, I had tons of clients that are like, "Jail's nothing. Like, do a quick ninety, turn around, and oh well, see." And, big and deal. for me, that wasn't
1: the case at all. For me, I genuinely believed I wasn't going to get caught. Right. Oh, this okay. is why well, I've always thought that jail piece. is a horrible deterrent. <laughs> right. Nobody ever committed a crime knowing they were going to get caught. Right. So, what, who cares if it's ten years or twenty years? If I don't think I'm going to get caught, I don't care about the consequence. Right. So. I don't. Yeah. For me, it's different. It's different than that. And
2: I I think like my psychiatry brain also like brings ADHD into it. Right. Value. Is it a value based (laughs) problem or an ADHD problem? Because like one of the things I find is when I'm working with people who have histories like criminal histories, legal histories, I don't, my default is not, well, you're bad. You're a bad person. You have shitty values. And so you do all these things. I'm often like, wait a minute. Does this person have ADHD? Do they have impulsive ADHD? Really? Is that the first
1: thing that, that comes to you? honestly? Honestly? Really?
2: I I, okay. I inherently do not want to believe people are bad. And I inherently believe people are not bad. I believe that the majority of people, even who have done bad things, are not bad people. So I'm always looking for...
1: Without a doubt, right? Yeah, yeah. and what's yeah. the
2: explanation for why a good person is going to do a bad thing?
1: But how does and, ADHD play into that? Like, you really have my attention oh, right
2: now. Oh, totally. Like, especially when I mean, you've her, got... She has her you know, you've got two types.
1: Ding, <laughs> 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 right? ding. Do you know how many ADHD kids it takes to change the light bulb?
2: <laughs> <laughs> right.
1: One ride um, bikes. Right. <laughs> so.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> Continue, I feel like please, the Lisa. show,
2: like the humor today, it's great. It's, it's, a good it's laugh. It's devolved. The um, show has devolved. That's,
1: good. And, and that's what y'all took off. Yeah, y'all, look, that happened. For, for for a week, you were both gone. The same week, everything went to shit. In your in your you know, you got to have one of you here, or the show devolves. That's what happens. Okay, so yeah, I now accept we're your back. apologies. All right, All right. Yeah.
2: Um, <laughs> yeah, like totally. For me, you know. And again, it's a lens I look through as a psychiatrist, but when I've got someone who's done a bunch of stuff as a kid, like, you know, two things are, are in my mind. One is, is it conduct disorder, right? But the other is ADHD and it's particularly the hyperactive impulsive type of ADHD. Because those are kids who they'll go do bad things and then afterwards have a ton of remorse. Like they're just like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I did that, that I stole that, that I hurt that person. Um, and that kind of helps you differentiate between that versus conduct where a conduct kid's like, Mm, I don't care, you know, but if there's a ton of remorse after you've done something bad, you know, it's a red flag for that particular type of ADHD. And so again, I can see how you can have really strong values, but if you have untreated hyperactive impulsive ADHD, there's a chance you're going to go do bad things and then have a ton of remorse after the fact, you know, hmm. um,
3: This wasn't
1: an ADHD episode, but it's quickly turning into that. I've got questions now, so for me, it wouldn't be that I felt bad that I had done something, unless somebody got hurt, or unless unless there was an unforeseen consequence of, you know, hurting other people or whatever. But I would, as a kid, I never felt bad for stealing ever right and maybe I should have you know are you sorry because you got caught or are you sorry because you're sorry let's be honest mom it's because I got caught right I don't think I was a bad person I don't think I am a bad person I think I'm you know but what is the difference there now like that you know or am I just doing that am I being that guy that's like well it wasn't like that for me so it's you know that's not the thing but or is there a different type of ADHD or what's the
3: the justification piece so you know were you the kid that that stole a bag of chips from the grocery store because you were hungry and then you said, Well, I'm hungry, and so I deserve these bag of chips. Or well, I was a fat you know, kid, you so still... I was
1: always hungry, so there was that. Mm-hmm.
3: <laughs> I think some of it is value. Like, I, like, I
2: think, <laughs> yeah, I think some of that comes into the value piece of, you know, um, like, I start to think about values, entitlement, um, you know, like, well, I, I deserve that. And that store doesn't need the money as much as I needed the chips. And so I'm going to steal the chips, right? And yeah. so yeah. I, See, think... And I think
1: I was completely disassociated from all of that. It was like, well, I want the chips. I take the chips. Then. There was no math involved. There was no justified. There was no making my Like, none of that. It was just like, I'll just steal the shit because I wanted the shit. Right? But
2: that is a form of entitlement, though. Right, i wanted it therefore i should get it i'm entitled to it yeah yeah
1: yeah right
2: um yeah wow i I mean all this stuff stuff overlaps right as you can't weed it all apart but i think it comes down to people's personality styles people's sense of entitlement people's values but i think for me again it's just that lens of is there also a piece of adhd right because there's certain things that we can treat and particularly like i don't know aaron you've probably heard this too but like i you know I don't work with kids but we have to in residency do six months of child and adolescent psychiatry and it was so common that it's like we would see ADHD and the parents would be like well I don't want you to put my kid on a stimulant because you're gonna turn them into a drug addict and it's like well actually the opposite is what the evidence shows us is that treating your child's ADHD will protect them against becoming addicted to substances later in life right which we've talked about before but
3: <laughs> Chuck, you were. Stimu-
2: you
1: I think I'd be a pretty guy, great example you? of that, right? You know. Um, yeah, I, we, was, I didn't know that. I, I was
3: right. I guess right.
1: Oh, there's no doubt. There is no. I didn't know. I didn't have a clue, Aaron, until maybe four or five months ago. I was actually with Carl's wife in the car. She says, well, "That's why you did coke and math, right? Because it like it, it leveled you out." It's like, holy oh, fuck, mm-hmm. right? That's what mm-hmm. this whole thing was, right? Absolutely. N- that's why I have five Chrome sign-ins and ten open tabs in each one. And, that's why I spend half my day looking for files in my computer. That's why, because right? I'm not doing coke and meth anymore, right? Yeah. No they're not, yeah. kind of, you know, keeping these I on I'm not 100%. doing the stimulants, right? So, geez, yeah, I'll have to get to a doctor and get a prescription or something one of these days. <laughs> 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 yeah. yeah. Anyway, um, so we're going to move on to Vivitrol from here. Did I say it right that time? okay okay um yeah this, this sorry if i'm being a little loopy I, like i was i was up all night fighting with this fucking computer so um once again right? and i've got interviews like at least one or two every day until wednesday and tech issues fuck, right? so i'm going to sleep tonight at a normal hour so but i'm going to stay up all day so i'm going to be loopy for the rest of the day um <sighs>
2: Chuck, can for I him ask himself. one thing? We want to talk about Vivitrol, which is awesome. But Aaron, I'm I, curious I'm if I could ask one open, other question yeah. about SMART. Um, yeah. Do you feel? Because you said you've done this, like you've worked as an addiction counselor for 13 years. Um, what, like, when did you start
3: learning about SMART recovery?
1: I think you mentioned oh, that in the okay. beginning, didn't you? So
3: it came. It's been around since the 90s, and then. well, oh, that's
1: what you said. Yeah. I
3: started counseling about. 2011 right? about three or four years in to, to counseling okay. so you've um, got like tons of addiction
2: counseling our... and then you've also got like a significant amount of time doing smart recovery counseling do you mm-hmm. feel like there's a certain client or patient where you're like smart would be really good for you or do you feel like you have a preference for smart recovery over
3: other modalities of, of addiction therapy so, in my in my experience, I've seen a lot of younger people like smart recovery, um, because some of my older people are 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 I don't want to say my younger people are very very more why people. Well, why can't I do this? Or why do I have to do step work? Or why do I have to have a higher power? Why, why can not I just do it? They're very. Not defiant, but they just, they, they like the information. So when I draw pictures of the brain and, and show you why it's working or whatever, I see a younger and um, sometimes my higher functioning clients really light up because it just makes sense and they like what they can understand. Whereas some of my older people or maybe someone who has only done a different program is like, oh, just, just don't drink and use and, and you won't relapse. That's it. I'm like, yeah, I mean, you're right. But um, yeah. there's a lot more to that. And we, that's, we that's can't Chuck's forget favorite. that. Chuck's favorite word,
1: just. Just, yeah, yeah, just. Yeah. Don't get just me started. Just do it, man. Right? Yeah. Don't get me down so, that shit today, man.
3: Right? <laughs> move, yeah. And of course, so also anybody that's on medication-assisted treatment is going to be great for smart recovery. Anyone who's not wanting to have any type of spirituality with their recovery. Now, I have some people that say, I'm spiritual and I'm religious, but that's over here, and I want my recovery to be over here. Some people don't want to merge it. Some mm-hmm. people think you have to merge it. Doesn't matter. Do, do what you want. But so those people would be really great for um, smart recovery, because we don't mm-hmm. we don't bring in any type of spirituality or religion.
1: On August 17th and 18th, the Mission Community Services Society is going to be holding a fundraiser called the 24-Hour Homeless Fundraiser. Ten participants will go unhoused for an immersive experience of being homeless as a way to raise awareness and funds for Mission's new community medical mobile unit, (EMMU). I talked to Nate at MCSS about this fundraiser, and here's what he had to say.
4: So we send them out and say, well, go find a job. Well, without ID, how are you going to get hired? You have a resume, but... You have no way to get your resume right now, so I don't know what you're going to do. But you still got to go look for work. You've yeah. got to find an income. Talk to income assistance. Ask them how you get income assistance when you don't have ID. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And so people start to recognize like it's not as simple as get a job. It's really not.
1: I, I have I have some resources. Not some resources. I have some family that was helping me out, and their frustration almost broke. Me when I came in from active addiction. So yeah. that's
4: what the fundraiser is for, is to keep that medical mobile unit on the road. But it's so, also for people to have a, a real in-depth look at homelessness and just see right. how, how tough that struggle is when you're trying to get out of it. It
3: never comes
2: out. And I feel like younger people, like and I'm like totally stereotyping right now, but I feel like older generations, it's like they were just taught it it is what it is because I said it is what it is. Like don't ask questions, Mm -hmm. right? And it's like, I feel like people were raised like that. Like, uh, because I said so, that's why. And I think younger generations expect more. They're like, but why? Like explain to me why I can't do that or explain to me why that's bad. And so I'm not surprised. I don't think to hear that you find the younger generation want to understand the why of things more. Um, I
1: think part of that, Would be again go back to the faith part as well generationally right it's with you know it's a much much bigger thing yeah our to our parents than it is to us and to you know to their parents to them and so on and so forth right so i I think that's probably a factor in there as well my question though and maybe this is me just being vain or selfish or something what is younger or older now what you know what generation is considered you know in in your office for instance Aaron. You know, you just said, some of the younger generation. Where's that cut We're off? You're not old, Chuck. Oh, I'm old, don't get That's me wrong. That's what we all want to hear. I look young. What Uh-oh. I did is I pickled myself with years and years of drug use, so I've just started to <laughs> age again now, right? Yeah.
4: <laughs> no, I, I personally yeah, feel I don't, I... Gen X is probably the first generation that started saying, why?
1: Well, and Gen I, I know X is me. when?
4: when is, when's that birth? Uh, like. 75 That's to like 84. 90... Okay, so
3: we're Gen X. Oh, things.
4: Gen X. Sorry,
3: I'm thinking Gen... Yeah. I know for
4: me, I'm a big Y guy, right? Oh, yeah. Like, hey, yeah. I need you to do yeah. this. Yeah. And, and I need to know why it needs to be done, not just that it needs to be done. I worked with I Carl for years, have bit, let me tell you. I also <laughs> still have a bit of, like, yeah. you know, from my parents who were boomers, I kind of have that bit of a work ethic where it's just like, this has to be done. So we just do it. And we worry about the why later, whereas maybe more of the millennials um, are just like, no, I need a why. But I think Gen Mm -hmm. X was the first generation that that started saying, like, I need a little why to this, right? Like, I'm not just gonna go Mm -hmm. out and, and do this, just because you said Um, Mm -hmm. that that's my personal opinion. I don't know if maybe you see it different in your in your clinic or your office.
1: So, so we're in between the young and old. Is that what you just said?
4: Gen X is a transitional generation. Sorry, go ahead.
3: It's like the, um, you know, the, the Gen Z, these are like people born like what after like 95, 97, that kind of thing. They're very much like if I'm off at five, I'll leave at five. Whereas millennial and older is like, if your boss asks you to stay 30 minutes past five, you're like, yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. You're my (laughs) boss. Whereas Gen Z is like, no, mental health, self-care, right? Yeah. <laughs> and that, that it's weird because they're, they're both kind of right. I totally, yeah. I guess that's why I'm a millennial because I kind of <coughs> see both ways. I'm like, yeah, I do want to like shut my computer at five and be like, I'm off. But I also am that person that, you know, wants to be great in the workplace and I want to make my boss happy. Yeah. Um, yeah, mm-hmm. Make the rest of those years anyway, look like so.
1: slackers. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: <laughs>
3: Um, I don't know. I've been. Okay, so earlier I said I'm
1: totally opposite.
3: (laughs) I was talking about you know medication. assisted treatment approved for you know smart recovery meetings, and Vimbutrol is kind of the one I wanted to explain to some people today that's listening. Um, so you know I like when you said earlier, Chuck, like, hey, layman's terms, like we don't know all the all the science stuff, and I'm very essentially my job
1: on this show is to dumb it down. That's what I do, right? Our down. I got you. So, yeah. Got you. Because, you <laughs> yeah, know, when
3: I'm yeah. when I'm describing it, I'm usually talking to somebody who's, you know, wanting the medication. They're not they don't know how, mm-hmm. you know, the cortex and limbic system and all that stuff. They don't they don't know all that. So I'm very used to explaining how Vivitrol works really, really well. Um wow. well, that's setting the, the really bar cool pretty high. Let's button, have it.
1: Mm.
3: Okay, all right, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. Now you set okay. the bar. You
1: shouldn't have done that. You could have easily impressed us. Now, if you don't get there, it's going to be a letdown, right? So, yeah. I'm
3: going to get there. <laughs> I'm going to get there. So, in our in everybody's brain, addict or not, we have receptors. And those guys make things work. So, we have receptors. Literally, you want to name it, there's a receptor for it. There's a receptor for eating your favorite food. There's a receptor for drugs. There's a receptor for alcohol. There's a receptor for Going fast on the interstate, right? All this stuff. Everything we do, so there's are some those kind of receptors. Separate
1: receptors in there. or are those pleasure receptors?
3: Uh, I don't know that answer. But the only Lisa. one I want you to worry about today is the <laughs> mu receptor. Okay. I always think of receptors
2: as like this. I think of receptors as, you know, this yes, it and is. then I do. And then right. And then (laughs) items come in and they bind into the receptor. Right. And when, when something sits inside the receptor, it activates something, whether it's a sense of pleasure, a sadness, a feeling, a physical sensation, right? You need these two things to come together. And then there's, there's an effect, right? It's kind of like
3: plugging a plug into an outlet and the lamp turning on.
1: Okay. Okay. Enough with the sexual innuendos. Okay. Continue.
3: With
1: my I'm, sorry. Narcan. I'm sorry. I, was up
4: I knew on. I knew you were going there.
2: I'm like so naive. Like my brain didn't go there at all. Oh my I love her. I love her. Okay. Do
4: you work with people in recovery?
3: Like okay. Yeah. Anyway. She's our
1: muggle. Eh? She is our she is our muggle. Lisa is our muggle. So, I am. So, yeah, we love her too. Yeah.
3: So. so I'm gonna use I'm gonna use Lisa because I I do it this way. They're kind of like buckets, okay? And we got a bunch of them. We all do. We all have the mu receptor. And that guy is responsible for two things, alcohol and opiates, okay? Okay. And we all have them, but people who use alcohol and opiates have a bunch of them. There's a lot more. And that's where cravings come from. So people think, oh, it's a choice, it's a choice. If I'm a real big fat guy with a real big stomach, I'm gonna need more food, right? It's very similar to that. If I have more receptors, if I have more mu receptors, they're empty. And the only thing you can fill me with, alcohol and opiates.
1: Is this so literal have, or figurative? I'm sorry to interrupt you What again.
3: This is pretty literal. You have it's like It's
1: science like there's actually more receptors in a brain of somebody who's an addict and- Absolutely. I, okay, I've never heard this before, so yes. okay,
0: yeah,
1: yeah. So <laughs>
3: it's kind of like, um, okay, uh, are you guys coffee drinkers?
1: Was at one point anyway. Yeah, yeah.
3: <laughs> yeah. So the the first time you had coffee, your brain either goes, "Yes, I love this," or "No, I, I don't like this." And so when your brain goes, "Yes, I like it," you're going to drink it more. That's tolerance. That's likes. Going to make
1: more room. So tolerance would be the extra receptors that you're speaking of. Okay. Just...
3: So hey, Aaron, we like, have...
2: not. Can I interrupt and ask one question though? Because. If you, for example, though, are addicted to heroin, over time, you're actually gonna downgrade your mu receptors, right, because you're flooding them. And so your brain will actually downgrade the number because it's going, like, you have a certain number of receptors at baseline, but if you're addicted to heroin, where you're flooding your receptors all the time, what your brain does is it tries to compensate. And what it does is it downgrades, reduces the number of mu receptors to try to compensate for the fact that you're flooding your brain's mu receptors. And this is part of why, when you're in early recovery, this is why you struggle with, for example, things like depression, is because your receptors have down-regulated.
3: Limited, right. Right? Limited, yeah. yes. And that's why a lot of people like, we say chasing the dragon or chasing the high, is because you've kind of already, the fireworks have kind of already happened, and you're trying yeah. to make them go again, and it doesn't really, it's not the same, some of the same. Um, so we've got, those, we've got those buckets, right? And let's say they're empty. When we're about to use an opiate or alcohol, obviously it comes into your body, and we all think it happens like in your stomach or whatever, but it's really happening up here. So what happens, kinda like Lisa was saying, it comes in, lands, parks, and then releases whatever it's gonna release, and that's all happy and good, and we're having a great time. Now, we have the receptor, and we have Vivitrol in our system. Vivitrol just puts a lid. It doesn't feel it, put the lid. So it's still an empty receptor, but I don't have enough arms. But if something was trying to come into this receptor, <laughs> it can't. <laughs> Right, so it's like that was awesome. It's like I'm resourceful. You're like resourceful, resourceful as an addict, right? Right there. I told you I'm good. And so we put a block. We put a lid. Look at Carl. Carl's like
2: <laughs> Carl's laughing on the inside.
3: Chuck laughing on the outside. Normally, track. I'm drawing this
2: to is, show you how this that works. Is
1: more emotion than we've seen collectively from Carl since we started the show. You just saw it yeah. all right there, right? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> the extent of it.
3: Okay, here I am. Here I am as an opiate. I can Chuck? <laughs> you are. <laughs> <laughs> but what? Something Lisa was saying earlier that I that I always 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 go back Excuse to. Me. <laughs> now, Trexone is the pill form. Vivitrol is the <laughs> shot form. Why y'all don't have it in Canada? I don't know, and I'm gonna find out because Vivitrol, it has been proven to be more successful because if you're supposed to take a pill every day to not relapse and you wanna get loaded on Friday night, what do you think you're gonna do on Wednesday?
1: Yeah, you're gonna stop taking that pill for sure. Stop taking the pill, easy.
3: But Mm -hmm. the injection, so, and you know, addiction used to be an impulse control disorder, right? They would, people would just make quick decisions and even though they're wrong. And so the, the Vivitrol injection, you don't even have to worry about it. You get it, and for thirty days you're you're kind of safe. Um, mm-hmm. I don't really like using that word, but and some people say, "But Aaron, I don't want I don't want to swap an addiction for another addiction." So now, Trexone and Divitrol are antagonists, which means they are not agonist. An agonist is something that is probably going to be an opiate or a partial opiate. Now, Trexone and Divitrol has zero opiate in it; none. You can't shoot it snort it, sell it. I bet you I
1: could sell it. I think of it too as like
3: you know something
2: that is an agonist, (laughs) like heroin is an agonist. It's going to activate the receptor, whereas naltrexone is going to block it, Mm -hmm. right? So agonize it versus antagonize it, or activate it versus block it.
1: Okay. And so the naltrexone is going to block it. That's easier for me to wrap my head around. And
2: the other the other important thing is that anything that binds into the mu receptor, there's different substances have different affinities for the receptor. So things will come in and kick the other thing off the receptor naltrexone yeah. has one of the highest affinities for the mu receptor so if you've got heroin in your body and you've got naltrexone Ooh. in your body at the same time
3: naltrexone will so win wins
1: okay okay and
3: you will not be a happy person yeah yeah pl- because it's going to suboxone does the same thing does it it not? Or, or do no, i have I'll, that wrong i'll tell yeah. you i'll tell you the difference between that so let's envision that you have your mu receptor but you still have a little bit of like some kind of opiate in your receptor so Trekstone's coming in and it's going to put a lid on him, but it, but it says, um, you're not supposed to be here. Get out. And it throws it out. You're not supposed yeah. to be here. And then withdrawal hits. And you right? are not happy. It's like hardcore withdrawals. Yeah. yeah. Are but you following well, me like, like, though? Like, are you getting
1: it? No, no, absolutely. I am. I am. I am. I, mean, I told, you. I, told I am. you. I am. I am. I am. Um, so... <laughs> I want to draw. A little for the people stuff.
4: that are just <laughs> listening, yeah. make sure that oh, you watch geez. this episode.
1: Oh yeah, yeah do, I forgot about that. much more sense to you. Thank you for yeah, catching up. I'm, I'm guilty <clears throat> of uh, forgetting about yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, um,
3: so. And so people say, well, you know, what's the what's the problem? Like, what? Why don't people want vivitrol? Um, you know, I used to work in the prison system. Work, not live. Work. And they didn't really like I used to, to use live in the vivitrol. prison system what? Yeah. so they didn't want vivitrol because they said Aaron it will it will force people to overdose which is a very big myth and that's something I wanted to explain to people so what they think is if I have an empty receptor and I have vivitrol blocking my receptor and I use heroin or opiates you're gonna have to use a lot and when I mean a lot I mean a lot a lot a lot because you're gonna have to basically use so much that you're gonna have to fill your receptor up and take the lid off at the same time. That hardly ever happens because to do that, you're gonna have to take so much and it's gonna flood your receptor and it's gonna put you in an overdose. So there really is no using or getting high while on Vivitrol. Um, So people say, yeah, that's my point. People are gonna die on Vivitrol. I'm like, they're not dying from Vivitrol, they're dying from the heroin use. So yeah. even if, even, let's, envi- let's envision that there is no Vivitrol lid, and you use all that heroin, it's gonna fill it up, it's gonna overflow, yeah. and it will overdose. It's no different. Yeah. If you take the same amount of drugs, with or without heroin, that's more than you're supposed to, I guess. You're taller But isn't bubble. the argument
1: that you, that you take more because you're not getting high? So you're Correct. putting that much more in your system. Correct. Isn't that the argument?
3: yeah yeah but yeah. people think oh i'm taking more heroin because you put me on Vivitrol."
1: yeah and that's why but, education yeah. is
3: so important when you're when you're giving Vivitrol to your i'm, I'm still
1: seeing it that way i'm, I'm missing something Aaron, because it, to me that what? is I, I, i'm not understanding it. it you know, are you seeing this wrong or um i, I, mean, I, feel like I think i just I missed think of it something three. that was fundamental to this right
2: Yeah, Yeah, because I think that is true, though, isn't it, Aaron? The whole thing is that if you use the same amount of heroin you did pre-Vivitrol, you're not going to get the experience because the Vivitrol is blocking the receptor. So people will try to flood the Vivitrol out by using an increased amount of heroin. But ultimately, um, it's the fact fact that you're using increased heroin that's going to lead to a problem. Of
1: course, but...
3: There is, but the no middle, there is no reason for the increased heroin so Vivitar- let me i'll yeah. use i'll use alcohol for an example cuz i feel like it could be really easy for all listeners so you know you, you know you drink one beer probably not going to get you know really much so we drink six beers but the person mm-hmm. that goes from one beer to one fifth of hard alcohol is a huge difference but people What's go one and one right so you have That's to funny. under it's all about the education you have to explain to clients there is no blowing out the lid and being high that does that will not happen some people just think oh if you take more you'll get high you take more over your tolerance you, you'll get it you got to just learn no it does not work that no. way um okay what's the so fifth it's,
1: um, it's a i oh, thank you okay <gasps> canadian american right i just wanted to Kind of wrap my head around the, the volume set, so. oh yeah. uh, you asked
3: me what a fifth was sorry 700 yeah, yeah, no, yeah no 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 that's sorry. not it there you uh, go yeah
1: 750 mils, right yeah right two six yeah, yeah 26 26 ounces, ounces. Yeah. yeah canadians I, are
4: great at conversion
3: i know it's, i'm yeah. like y'all are killing uh-huh. it <laughs> well uh, our, our neighbors
4: our neighbors refuse to use the metric system so we have to <laughs> yeah have to, have like to up the rest of the world yeah right
1: <laughs> come on america do better
3: I will give you. I will give you some really fun numbers. Is ninety okay. percent um, of people who used Vivitrol? no when they did, hold on, let me get this right because it's not ninety percent. When they did the study, the people the, the people who took Vivitrol versus the people who did the placebo had ninety percent opiate-free weeks.
1: Okay. Versus
3: the people that took the placebo, so they thought they were taking Vivitrol. They had 35% opiate every week.
1: Significant difference for so sure.
3: So the placebo still helped some people, but it almost tripled when they were taking the real medication. So it's not just that people say, oh, well, it's just a mental thing. No, it's not.
2: Have they compared Vivitrol to Suboxone, Methadone, Cadian to see, um, you know, difference in outcomes? You keep saying Cadian, and I don't know what that is. It's long acting morphine and so usually what i find is that for folks who have opiate use disorder right um usually at least nowadays i find that the first thing they'll go to is suboxone um, or sublocade for some people and i'm hearing more and more that this is not real life but i think what patients tend to perceive is that well depending on how severe their opiate use disorder is they don't feel like suboxone is sufficient and a next Mm -hmm. step would be to go to methadone then you've got people who even methadone does not do enough to block cravings those very severe cases like i think in the last five years um i know two two patients that i've had who were put on kadian which is long-acting morphine um so Actually, it's not sold on the
1: street quite a bit too kadians are
2: yeah probably Although what they they mean long-acting like time, i don't know It's yeah. spelled with a k k-a-d-i-a-n yeah they're, um, they're
1: uh, yeah they're, they're definitely sold quite a bit on the street
3: Yeah. So, because it's
2: long acting, I would be surprised if it would give you much of a rush, but, you know. True. True, true,
1: true. I think it's that. Well, the only, like, compare,
3: (laughs) as I can tell you is, you know, methadone is going to be a lot safer for, you know, your pregnant people um, in recovery. And so, yeah. So, Suboxone, Subutex, and Vivitrol isn't approved for pregnancy in the united states i don't know if it's different Mm. anywhere else um so methadone is the safest way although it's still not great Um, but methadone
1: it could be deadly quite easily can it not be like if i with me with zero tolerance ever to any sort of opiates my entire life correct it doesn't take a lot of methadone to kill me correct correct okay okay so So
3: it definitely has got its cons of course because methadone suboxone, and subutex are those agonists and when you when you say agonist in recovery, that means it has some form of opiate in there. So back okay. to our receptor, when you put Suboxone, it's not going to fill up your whole receptor like if you you know did heroin, but it puts a little bit of opiate in there and an opiate blocker. So mm-hmm. I I call Suboxone like a teeter totter drug, like it's kind of cool, kind of not. It just kind of depends because it's yeah. half opiate or half fake opiate and then half opiate blocker. So it okay. does, but I, I'm a big fan of sublocate, which is what Lisa was talking about, the um, injection or the implant, um, because you can't, you know, you're always taking the right dose. You're never selling it. You're never getting it off the street. You're never using it you, dangerously. We don't
1: do the implant here, though, do we, Lisa?
3: I don't think so. Do you no. Do you
1: in the United States? Do you do yes,
2: absolutely. Well, I know
1: they do it in, in South Africa, right? That's, that's what we were talking about there, right? With that sublocated implant. So... So we no, do do sublocate,
2: but sublocate is an injection, right? I don't think it's an implant. I think it's an injection. Isn't it an I.M. injection?
3: Ours mm-hmm. is an um, an abdominal implant. It goes in your let upper. And, really? Eh? It's okay. like a. It's kind of. Okay. Because we do but... have
2: we do have sublucaid. Like it's you know a once a month. Um, mm-hmm. Let me just see yeah. if it's an injection or an implant.
3: Yeah, and they, they move it. So, Once you know, a month if,
1: injection. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. No.
3: So, like, if you if you look at somebody and put a cross on their belly, they've got four quadrants. And so each time you get a sublocate implant, it they move it. Okay. Okay. And then there's different doses. Don't quote me, but I want to say it's well, like 300 be, and 100 yeah. and, and things like that. But it's yeah. pretty So we do have moving.
2: it. We do have it. It's called Propufine and it's an implant that lasts six months, but apparently it's quite hard to access in Canada. So we use Sublicade, which is a monthly injection. Okay. See, and okay. we call
3: Sublicade the implant. That's cool. Oh. Mm. Interesting. And i got to look up this huh. Cadian thing you were talking about. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> that well, and side. I was, yeah. was going to talk to you all about, you know, how people get it, because it's very easy to get here. Um, a lot of insurance companies cover it, and, you know, Medicaid uh, definitely covers it. A lot of people don't have out-of-pocket expenses when they use Vivitrol's, like, website because there's, like, a a savings plan on there. I think it's, like, 90, 90 to 92% of people don't even have an out-of-pocket expense. But out-of-pocket is about $1,200 here, um, which oh, okay. is pretty expensive. Okay. But... Even if but we wanted to really compared compare, compared to the cost of, yeah, right, right, like heroin yeah. kind of pricey, yeah. right? <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah. Well, well it's, it's not, not it there, that. It's it's not that. It's the cost of the addiction on society and the cost of on the family and, and and on your life. It's not the cost of the drug. Heroin now, fentanyl is amazingly cheap. Oh yeah, it is. It is crazy cheap right now. Right. Um, when I got busted in 2021, it's four thousand dollars an ounce. It's roughly Fifteen percent of the cost as it was two years ago three Dang. years ago fifteen percent
3: yeah and I, it just yeah. it 's crazy to me how y'all i don 't know why you don't have the vitrol approved there it's very interesting
4: generally, we like to uh, test it on Americans before we bring it up here
3: <laughs> Well, good news for you, Carl <laughs> we have some good stats for you.
2: One of the other things, Erin, that I've heard about Vivitrol in terms of opiate use disorder is that because it is purely an antagonist, that it doesn't satisfy craving. So while it'll block the, you know, if someone were to go use when they're on Vivitrol, they're not going to get high and they're going to be protected against overdose. But that there's a higher likelihood that they're going to stop the Vivitrol and go relapse because they continue to crave when they're on Vivitrol. Because it's not, there's as you said, there's no... Agonist component to it.
3: Okay, so I'm glad you brought up cravings because Vivitrol um, it decreases your cravings by 56. percent Interesting. Um, and if you know anything about stats, that's a really large number. Um, yeah. And so, um, I think it. I think it's really great that, of course, it blocks it, but it's going to turn down the cravings. And if we don't, if we don't crave it or want to use it, we're probably not. Typically, we don't do stuff we're not wanting to do if it's not a physical, you know, withdrawal. Yeah. But by the time you're without on the it having you're
2: already... an without it having an agonist component, though, how is it? How does it turn down? Like pharmacologically, how does it turn down the craving?
3: I think, if I remember correctly, when I was learning about like the um, the receptors and how it closes them off, it doesn't close off all of them. Um, so some people okay. say, oh, well, if it closes off all my receptors, am I going to be a zombie? So I think it kind of closes off most of them, but not all okay. of them. So, like, everybody in the world has mu receptors. Five-year-olds have mu receptors, right? And so, but they're not, you know, if we put a bottle of vodka in front of them, they're not going to light up. They're just like, hmm, whatever. But if you have somebody that's got a ton of those mu receptors, they're going to be like, ooh, right? And so I think if some of them are kind of turned off like if we pulled electricity from the wall the plug is still there but if Uh, i try to plug a lamp in it's not going to light up yeah Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) um so i i think i'm not that's a really good question but i think it's because we close off a good bit of the receptors and so it's kind of like once the big fat guy gets really skinny right like he doesn't he doesn't need as much food so he's not eating as much he's not craving it as much (sighs)
1: okay um we're at an hour look at that eh uh-huh. has gone by a hey? um not that we're stuck to an hour not at all uh, <laughs> if there's anything else that you want to talk about we're more than happy to do so right um but it's just around now is when we start looking at it and going well you know have we recorded enough to call it an episode yet so yeah <laughs> but yeah um I, I think we covered the Vivitol. We we covered smart recovery um i think it's fair to say i'm going to be inviting you back on the show You're a great guest. Yeah, yeah. You're knowledgeable, and you put up with my shit, so that's great. Yeah, and maybe next (laughs) time we'll have one of those days where I've slept and I'm not such a loopy, you know.
3: I'd love to. I would love to. I had a great time. Thank y'all for having me.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Um, Which brings us to my favorite part of the show. That's the daily gratitudes. Today's daily gratitudes are brought to you by Yatra Treatment Centers in Phuket, Thailand. They are a clinic run by clinicians, not a business run by businessmen, and they know that where addiction is a smoke. Trauma is the fire. Learn more at yatracenters That's y a t r a c e n t r e dot com. And now here's your daily gratitudes. All right, Aaron. So you got some daily gratitudes for us?
3: I do. Uh, I think after you know talking with you guys and meeting you, I think I'm grateful for good open discussion about recovery. Um, yeah. It's not a cookie cutter type of thing, and I love hearing from all different parts of the world um, and different. Interventions we can use, such as smart recovery or medication, faith-based treatment-based medications, doctors, all that stuff. I I just, I'm really grateful for the opportunity of of knowledge.
1: Yeah, yeah, good stuff. Good stuff. Um,
4: Carl, what do you got for us? Got a gratitude or two? I am always ever so grateful for my wife and family. Mm -hmm. Um, They keep me uh, keep me in line. Um, and for the lack of smoke in the air today. I'm very grateful for that. I might actually be able to go outside and putter a bit. Mm -hmm. And always I am grateful for you, Chuck, for this show, and I'm grateful to Aaron for being on, and Lisa for putting up with us. Um, (laughs) Yeah, that's about it for today.
1: (laughs) Lisa, what you got for us?
2: Always going to start with the same one. My brother is four and a half months sober, and um, I'm grateful for that. I oh, got you know to what I wanted out... to say.
1: I wanted to tell you huh. your pictures in White Rock. Um, oh yeah. I love like White Rock's like my that's my my place right. I got Best some great place. stories out of there right. But on that pier in that restaurant, in a Dewey's or Louise or whatever. Oolies, um, what yeah, my favorite. Uli's. Yeah, right. Uli's. All the places, yeah. like every picture that you took. I was like, oh, I was right there, I was right there. So, yeah, great. I was, <laughs> yeah. Anyway, I just wanted yeah. to throw that in. Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah so. no, love it there. So I got to mm. go and spend a week. Um, I stayed with my sister-in-law. My brother is there part of the time, and then he's at a recovery program in Surrey, B.C., yep. um, but, you know, got to see him quite often and spend time with him and I had my daughter with me and so she got to spend time with her Uncle David, who she adores. Um, and so I'm grateful for his recovery and his sobriety and his fight. And I know, you know, it's not a walk in the park by any stretch, you know, my brother's struggled for over 20 years and he's doing really well at the moment. Um, and yeah, he's just, he's fighting the fight and him doing that makes my life better. So I am very grateful.
1: For him That's and awesome. what he's doing. That's awesome. That's awesome. Um, and, and myself, you know, the conversations, and, and for y'all for putting up with my shit today, because yeah, yeah. I'm a little bit loopy, right? Yeah, I'll be saying that for the rest of the day. Until I sleep, I'll be saying y'all, and I'll get my Canada back on after that. Right? <laughs> <laughs> no. Um, and, and, you know, uh, after last weekend, um, Pulling that episode, I, I think it went rather well. The ramble did, you know, on my on my own. I I kind of put it together, but I tell you, I was pretty grateful for you guys, you know. Right? Like, I was like, this is a lot easier when I've got my people here, and you know, right? Uh, it's just scheduling and all that stuff. It just didn't work out. So I'm I'm really grateful that you guys are back, and uh, and of course to you, Aaron, for for coming on and donating your time. Um, you know, I think you said you were going to give us an hour, and well, we went over that by an hour. So, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, And for the final gratitude, it goes out to the listeners. Always to you guys, the listeners, keep doing what you're doing. Please, if you're on Spotify, drop a comment. If you're on Apple, leave a rating, leave a review. If you are on any other social media, (laughs) if you see the logo, um, please drop a comment. Check it out to like a share. Do all the things, please. Every time you do any one of these things, you are getting me a little bit closer to living my best life. My best life is to make a humble living spreading the message. The message is this. If you are in active addiction right now, today could be the day. Today could be the day that you start that lifelong journey. Reach out to a friend, reach out to a family member, call in a detox, go to a meeting, do whatever the hell it is you need to do to get that journey started, because it is so much better than the alternative. And if you are the loved one of somebody who's suffering an addiction right now, you've just taken the time to listen to this ramble, if you could just take one more minute out of your day and text that person, let them know they are loved. Use the words, you are loved. That little glimmer of hope just might be the thing that brings it back.